0: Welcome to the Supply Chain Careers Leadership Podcast, and I'm your host, Chris Gaffney, and I'll be joined by my co-hosts, Mike Ogle and Rodney Apple. We're excited in this series to talk about a number of key impact areas for leadership and development for supply chain professionals, students, and employees. We're gonna talk about how you can work more effectively as an individual to create your own space for development, how you can differentiate in the workforce, how you can chart your own path to grow and develop, and how you can guide your own career. So sit back
1: and enjoy the ride. Welcome back to the Supply Chain Careers Leadership Podcast with Chris Gaffney. I'm your co host, Rodney Apple, and we've got Mike Ogle as our other co host. Uh, in our prior episodes, we have covered your next career step avoiding the regrettable move, work life balance, total leadership in all four quadrants. Episode three was Blind Spots and How to Overcome Them. And our most recent uh, episode was Personal Productivity, How to Get More Things Done. Um, If you missed any of these episodes, you can just go back to the website or your favorite uh, podcast platform and replay them. Just search for
2: Supply Chain Careers Podcast. Uh, Over to you, Mike. All right. Well, thank you, Rodney. And Chris, so how does this particular topic on collaboration fit into the leadership series at this point?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I've talked about how we we, we kind of are going to try to bucket the episodes into a, a, a few different categories. And so we've talked about how do you work effectively, create the time and space for development? How do you differentiate in the workplace? How do you grow um, and develop? You know, in your in your career, or as you progress towards your career, and the you know the last one is where am I headed? How do I build a career path? So I, I think collaboration for me is is kind of dead center in the differentiator space for sure. Um, you know, being a successful collaborator um, as an individual is impactful and it gets you noticed. Um, and It's something you need in in school as well as in the professional world. And being able to lead collaborative teams is a critical differentiator, differentiator as you rise. So I think it's primarily in the differentiation space. But in all honesty, it's a great way to grow and learn. Um, and I think it's also an element of working effectively. So I, I think it touches three of our four, but clearly is a differentiator.
2: So Chris, out of all the other topics, this one seems to be of particular importance to you. So why are you passionate about collaboration?
0: Yeah, Mike, it it is a
2: great question. And, And I think, you know, as I
0: said, I think it is a differentiator. But, you know, for me, what I would tell you is some of my greatest experiences. And in fact, probably some of my capstone achievements have been as a result of collaboration. So, you know, for for me, that's been enjoyable, but in all honesty, it was a big accelerator. So if, if I think about um, a few of those and I'll, I'll speak to them in different contexts, you know, when I worked at Coke, uh, we had a couple of different evolutions uh, over my 25 years around how we worked together. And in all honesty, went from a place where we didn't work uh, across a very large um, business system to a place where we did, and you know that that created huge opportunity. So I can think of a, a, a an instance with Dave Katz, who Dave who is the COO of Coca Cola Consolidated. He and I at a, a time when we were were junior in our career were in different parts of the business. He was on the bottling side, and I was on the company side. But we were both, you know, logistics and supply chain professionals. And in our own interaction, we said. We, th- we think there's huge untapped opportunity between us. And he and I actually spent the time to put down on paper a list of opportunities that we thought could we could be achieved if our organizations worked together over time. And it was a serious amount of money. And I'll say it now because it's back in the day. But it was $300 million. And the, the really cool thing is, Dave and I still occasionally talk about it, is over the course of three to five years, we were actually able to deliver that by working differently. So that that was a huge one for, for me. Uh, outside of the business system, McDonald's was a large customer for us for many years at Coke. And at a point in time, McDonald's decided that they wanted to take a significant step forward in maturing their approach to their logistics of getting ingredients and supplies from suppliers into their stores. And they actually brought together members of their uh, community their distributors some key suppliers and some academics as a matter of fact Um, there were folks from at the time um, ut penn state and mit in there and we worked together with mcdonald's on their logistics steering committee for about two or three years and we watched mcdonald's go from someone who you know had left a lot on the table there to being you know a pretty progressive and a leader in the industry it was great for them and it was a great opportunity for the us supporting them to help them and it had benefits for us as well um, i was i had the opportunity to work with a cross industry group at ohio state and it was called the global supply chain forum and one of the things that i'm most proud of there is that group of folks from many different companies along with doug lambert and his team at ohio state created one of the first textbooks on supply chain management and it's still still well utilized today. And and my last one I would say is when I was at Georgia Tech, our capstone was a senior design a cross functional or a a multi-person project working with um, industry. Um, You'd pick a company and work with it. And it was a classic opportunity in a project team to show how collaboration um, and how teams working together Um, Could make a huge difference, but you also learned about the pitfalls there. And I have the opportunity to continue to mentor some of those senior design teams through my relationships with Georgia Tech. So, you know, there just have been, again, some of my most memorable and impactful experiences have been through that collaboration. And I do think they've been a big accelerator for me. So I'd kind of love to, you know, get y'all's take on your experience with collaboration as well.
1: I guess I'll start. you know, from my vantage point, it is it is key um, to be successful in, in my line of work. You know, in recruitment, in supply chain, and having worked you know on the corporate side, uh, CoCom Depot, Kimberly Clark, Cummins. Um, you know, I just recall. Uh, you know, it just comes to it just comes naturally in what we do. But I think uh, it, I look at it as the glue that that kind of keeps people um, tied together. Uh, whether it's your internal teams or your external customers and and partners suppliers. Um, you know we're one of the few professions where you know we are brokerage uh, between people and people so you know candidates on one end and employers on the other. Um, but I remember back at Home Depot when I worked there um, when I started I was you know we're at their headquarters they were fortune 15 we were on this bottom floor in this corner of this corporate complex, um, far away from our customers. And you had to walk across three large buildings and I forget how many stories, 16 or 18, um, and up and down. And I, um, at one point in time, I was in the elevator and our, our senior most leader, the SVP of global logistics looks at me and says, Rodney, uh, I want you to move over um, and sit with us. I'm like, what do you, what do you mean? Like, yeah, we'll get you in an office. And, you know, sure enough, <laughs> I was one of the lone recruiters that uh, kind of escaped that bottom, you know, corner of the, of the complex and was, you know, thrusted up into the uh, two main floors of where all the logistics and supply chain you know, hundreds of people sat. And I, it, it was a game changer, you know, that uh, I was involved with uh, the leadership meetings. Um, I got to, to see all the people that I I placed um, and and just got to be a member of the team. And I bring this up because, uh, you know, sometimes people I think get isolated if you're not tied together. So it it is a purposeful thing that you have to do. You have to seek it out. Oftentimes you're brought into it like I was, but that really changed uh, my perspective, you know, and, and, and I, even when I went to Coke, um, you know, didn't get to sit with uh, the folks that I supported in supply chain, so I made the effort to get out of my desk and 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 uh, instead of having a call with someone, I always try to do those things in person, and uh, that really facilitated you know partnership building, relationship building, getting things done, um, you know brainstorming ideas and uh just it made a more successful partnership and i i tried to maintain that spirit even even in today with my own search firm we've got um you know the same discipline we have a, a think tank where we do a lot of this collaborating and getting together and you know huge whiteboard and all the different tools to, to help facilitate uh, ideas and exchanging and uh same thing with our clients uh, you know we strive to to have those highly collaborative partnerships and when we do usually have a great experience. And I know that when we don't, when they hand something off and then they kind of uh, go dark um, and they're not collaborative partners, you know, that's when when things can kind of get off the rails. So that's that's my personal uh, experience and perspective on, on collaboration and
2: I think why it's so important in not just what I do, but in business in general. Rodney, I've had some similar experiences, but in a very different set of arenas, I I guess, through my industry association days in a a past life for about 17 years. Then I managed a lot of projects, uh, dealt with a variety of industry groups uh, from national to international standards groups. There were a variety of industry groups focused on their part of the material handling and supply chain industry. I'd say particularly on the solution side of of different vendors getting together that had their area of solutions that were going into different parts of the industry. But the thing that I really got a great education on, there were so many different personalities and motivations that you had a chance to learn from. You really have to become a great reader of the room over time and be able to understand and accept so many different perspectives that were out there. But always being able to keep your eye on the prize, especially when you're trying to lead a team towards a solution. You keep your eye on the prize and move everybody to try to achieve some improvements You know that works really for the big picture, uh, the industry, the companies. But you also do have to keep your eye on the individuals. Because if, if you tend to to completely shut somebody out or a company out or whatever it may be, and you're not keeping an eye on that everybody's winning rather than you win and others lose. uh, Like so many things in supply chain, uh, you'd really have to have somewhat of a balanced scorecard overall and keep your eye on all those different pieces. Because if you don't, it can bite you really hard if you establish the wrong kind of reputation, either whether it's internal or external. And then i'd say on the academic side when i was wearing that hat uh off and on through through the years you tend to have a lot of lone wolves <laughs> acting for their own self-interest on the, on the academic side but you also do end up having opportunities for teamwork and collaborative research and papers and all those kinds of things so things could really turn very strongly positive when you had that type of uh, common goal that you're working on. And then the only other piece that I would put in here is uh, I had a, a really great opportunity for a couple of years to manage senior design teams and work on a team of other advisors and leaders of senior design teams. And you had to provide a tremendous amount of guidance to students and how they work and play well with each other on teams. So you see this collaboration and you see the level of achievement that if they started to get it and they understood what it took to collaborate and truly communicate well and keep their eye on the prize and keep moving towards it, that what you could achieve was really surprising and very rewarding. Good stuff, Mike. Hey, so
1: Chris, you know when you look at collaboration and i do think it's like any any kind of skill you know it's something that you try to improve upon but but this is uh you know from my vantage point it's it's an art and it's a science right um can you share your perspective on on that piece like the art part of it the science because there's definitely some discipline to it and then there's some things you kind of feel out over time what are your thoughts on that yeah, I mean, I definitely
0: will start with the art piece of it. And I, and I think Mike hit it. Um, and, and that was some fabulous examples for both of you, but Mike in particular, not only the examples, but I can hear it in your voice. You know, it, it's an emotional thing when you see it done well. And I think one of the most important pieces of that, the art of it is having folks see the greater good and the long play. And Mike, you talk about those industry associations. In many cases, you're being very selfless in, in trying to take a, a practice forward, a craft, and and it's not for your immediate benefit, right? And so I, I think that's part of it, um, but I think there's so many elements of it. And, you know, Mike, you also said, there are settings where people work individually, but the reality is, you know, particularly in the industry side of things, most work requires the help of others, right? And so you can either be in a place where you need help or you can be in a place where someone says, I need you to be part of this effort in order for us to be successful. So, you know, there's different dimensions of of where you play in collaboration. So I I think if I get into some of the other elements of the art piece of it, it's about give and take, right? You're in, in any situation like this, where you've got multiple players involved in, in as Mike said, moving something forward, there are times when you might have to lead, and there may times when you may have to follow. Um, there are times when your perspective is offered, but may not be taken. But you still gotta stay on the on the bus. Um, I think that's that's hard for any individual, you know, in in a competitive situation. But it's important uh, because it's not always going to be your way. I mean, the essence of this is there's value in having those different perspectives, as Mike talked about. Uh, and so I, I think the, the other piece of that art is how do you make sure you get everybody comfortable um, bringing their whole self to the table? In many cases, you have folks who are quiet and you got to find a way to make sure you don't lose that input because that may be the most valuable input. So there's a lot of that sauce side of it. Um, I do think there's some philosophical pieces of it. You know, you know, You know, everyone in a collaborative environment it's got to make a commitment and keep it, right? And so how do you get people to understand that element of it? And, and we've all had people on project teams who they're very either, either they've got short arms and they don't take on something. And, you know, you've got a few people rowing the whole boat or you've got people who make commitments and and are thumping their chest. But when you show up, they hadn't gotten anything done. So there's all kinds of elements around that dynamic, um, I do think it's about positive intent and trust. Uh, you're putting yourself out there. You're investing of your time, in addition to you know many other things you you have to do. Um, I, I also I, I was using this analogy with somebody I, I I know real well is, in many cases you're trying to bridge a gap in a collaborative effort, and you know what I want to make sure in those settings is everybody feels like they've got to do a little more than their part. And if you can get everybody thinking like that, you can get a very challenging objective met. The only other thing I would say about the art of collaboration is it's not always a structured big project or program. It may be as simple as you're having lunch with somebody and they say, I'm really having trouble figuring this thing out. And you may say, well, tell me more about it. And I might be able to offer you an idea to help you move it forward. So you never know when you're going to be in, in a setting where, where you know, the, the power of one plus more than one can be, you know, can be greater than the sum of the parts.
2: Yeah. And so that art side is certainly important. Uh, it, of course, there have to be some, some tactics and, and things that you actually uh, apply to this. So what are some key points maybe about the science side of collaboration?
0: Yep. And I think that they definitely, there's both sides of that fence, Mike. And, you know, ironically, in our time at, at Coke, uh, and I always applaud the Coke the system, they were very good at, at teaching, you know, a lot of these disciplines. And Rodney and I were probably involved in some of that facilitation. But I, if I look at some of the formal methodologies I was exposed to and, frankly, leveraged, and in many cases still leverage today, A lot of them are part of the science of collaboration. So, you know, I'll talk about a few of those. But for me, change management was huge, particularly when we're trying to make an organizational change or a change in how we do business. And a lot of that gets into the art of um, tapping into people's self-interest, have them understanding that a a collaboration that is driving change um, ultimately impacts people in an organization. And if you can tap into the team members' self-interest, you have a much greater probability of bringing them along and then they can be advocates to a larger organization. So I think that's a big deal. Um, Structured problem-solving methodologies are absolutely um, critical in a lot of collaboration settings. And, And in our operational world, whether we were using lean methodologies or Six Sigma methodologies, all of those things can come into play when you're dealing with something that um, that requires, uh, you know, f- frankly, in many cases, you know, understanding what's going on in a given system. Large large efforts of collaboration require the structure of program management. You've got to get in there and build out project plans and timelines and interdependencies, and have the means to keep an effort um, moving forward over time. So that level of discipline that's there, connecting. To the art and the science piece of it, uh, you know, we talk about there being different types of people, but in many cases, when we had large efforts, we would take teams through, um, you know, a personality profile. So you think of something kind of like the the Herman Brain Dominance Instrument to kind of consciously make or, or let the teams know that we have different learning styles in the room, and not only be aware of that, but use that to take advantage of it. So, in very large efforts, that type of thing is out there. Uh, it may be small things like facilitation, learning how to run a meeting. You know, as Rodney talked about, you know, getting getting the right balance in the room, making sure you've got all voices heard. That requires you know some specific skill sets there. And, and I think for us, we're talking about supply chain management in our field and how leadership applies there. Clearly process thinking. We'd bring those SIPOCs in there or the, you know, the swim lane chart so we could understand, you know, which person owned which part of a process, who was my internal customer and supplier, and, and how are we going to change this process? And then just the overall philosophy of end-to-end supply chain management, many of our big efforts in corporate America were about breaking through the classic, you know, functional silos and, and that type of thing. But my last plug about the science of collaboration is I saw a statistic that said organizations that prioritize collaborations are five times more likely to outperform their peers. So n- not just the science of how, but the science of it- it's worth the trip to be intentional about collaboration.
1: Memory lane. I just I remember the first time I I think heard the word um, collaboration was CPFR, the collaborate. Collaborative planning, forecasting, and replenishment uh, model. Um, saw that a lot in resumes back in the day. Um, any any thoughts on that piece as it relates to kind of partnering? I know it's more on the external side.
0: Yeah. So let's let's jump into the external side of this, and 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 we could talk about the internal, and I'll come back to it. But it is it is a unique challenge to collaborate across, you know commercial barriers and and that could be true in academia if you're having multi-industry or multi-university or even different colleges in a university system work together they're just things that that are a little bit more challenging but in a in a customer supplier relationship it's very unique and and that you know that collaborative planning forecasting and replenishment concept which still lives today and the more mature you know concept title is joint business planning is a great idea in concept, very difficult in practice, because in many cases, most cases, you have a contractual relationship, you know, where there are, there may be, you know, commercial pricing terms and that type of thing. There may be commitments to capacity and how that works over time is very much a function of how the players on both sides, you know, want to find a way to make that work or not. And, you know, the the kind of the gold star is that collaborative concept, is there is a belief that even inside of a contractual relationship that we jointly as customer and supplier can get bigger benefits if we share in a different way. In many cases, the concepts are about being a bit more transparent uh, over time when you might want to you know, think it. You want to hold your cards a bit closer to the vest. Uh, in many cases, you are trying to get multiple people in organizations working together. So it's not just the person who manages the relationship. We used to say that bow tie. You want to take that bow tie instead of having one to one relationship between a customer and supplier. Flip that bow tie around and have many to many, so that the people in your organization who work in different functions know their peers, and you know that. T- to me, again, can result in some breakthrough results. And so I, I think, you know, I-, I think that's alive and well, and you see many of the large um, CPG players, and that's a lot of my experience, both on the brand and customer side, work very hard on that. Typically, you know, you're gonna stumble because in many cases, those relationships will evolve over time, but the best of them stick with it and and really think about it over time. So. You know, I think about it from the, you know, that's a customer lens, but at Coke, in many cases, we were were very large relative to our suppliers. And so then we thought about it from a supplier relationship management standpoint. And, you know, there's equal opportunities to think in a different way then. In many cases, if you're dealing in a supplier relationship like we were at Coke, you could have the tendency to say how do I just find a way to get low price, right? And if you're not careful about that, you can sacrifice a lot of things. We saw that a lot in the last couple of years from a pandemic standpoint, that folks who were low cost buyers, um, their suppliers vaporized on them, right? Whereas if you had people who were collaborative in their relationship with the suppliers, had those balanced scorecards, understood continuity of supply, service, a long-term perspective in many cases, their supply relationships stood the test of time. So I think collaboration has a a huge equity in in that lens as well. You talked about it, Rodney, in in terms of um, the recruiting side, if it's a transactional relationship, it works one way. um, And if it's collaborative, it works in a different way. We've seen that a lot in the supply chain world with outsourcing. Um, and in many cases in areas of logistics where we now have third-party logistics providers or very large logistics service providers owning a lot of what might have been done by a company in the past, if you just go out and go through a selection process and find that 3PL and plug them in and move on, um, in most cases, those relationships don't last long, but it's a bit a bit paradoxical when you're outsourcing and go to a, a, a third party provider, you actually then still want to treat them almost as if they're part of your organization and collaborate with them so they understand how the business is evolving so that they can position resources to support your business. You're also listening to them. Is this is the practice playing out according to the contract? Are they able to make a buck? And Are you willing to be aware of how your behaviors are limiting their success? So, so much in in that space is is huge when you get into that external world. The last one that I would speak to, which I had a lot of fun with over the last half of my career, is something that's a bit unconventional from a collaboration standpoint, but we started doing a lot of non-competitive benchmarking. So we would go to peer companies who were not in our space, so we weren't buying or selling the same stuff to the same customers. And we would say, we would like to tell you where we are in our supply chain maturity, good or bad. And we'd love to know the same from you. And what we found were some tremendous opportunities where you know, in an industry that would be a little bit different, uh, this peer may have faced a similar problem and approached it and solved it in a completely different way. Uh, And we were able to really make some advances there. We saw that in particular in in one of our Coke bottlers in Mexico, our folks called uh, FEMSA. And they did some non-competitive benchmarking with a bakery company called Bimbo. And at Coke, we took cans and put them into multi-packs and put them into cases. And in the bakery business, you take loaves of bread and you have to put them in a tray to take them to the store. And the material handling solution and technology that they used was completely different than what we did at Coca-Cola, but it was a paradigm shift in terms of how it worked. It required much less space in a production floor. And it just opened the eyes of some of our folks to say, we just never thought that we could do it that way. So as you can hear, I I get fired up about a lot of that external collaboration and and, where it can take you
2: great information about the the external side Chris as well there's so many different levels of, of internal collaboration as well there's small tight teams that are around you and maybe it gets out to bigger and bigger circles but you're still internal in the organization and actually crossing some boundaries that almost feel a little bit like external but how does the internal side work differently than the external
0: it's a great question Mike and it you know as I thought about this topic, you know, I, I originally said, well, the external side is tougher, but the internal collaboration can can have its own challenges. And, and it, it obviously depends on how large a setting you're dealing with. But, you know, my experience at both larger organizations and smaller, and I've worked in both, is, you know, there are some things that are critical in terms of how to get it right. I, I think the first thing is understanding you know what is the culture, and I always say culture is what are what are the actions and behaviors that are acceptable. So how does work get done in in your environment, particularly if you're newer and you're you're brought in and see the need or opportunity for greater collaboration. So I think you've got to kind of read the room. You may need to tap into folks who are veterans or have some experience and say, I, I've got a large effort that's going to require me to work with multiple folks across functions. Give me some watchwords or tell me, you know, show me some examples of projects that went well and why. So I think that's critical. I think whenever you're going to have a level of collaboration that is on the more formal side, people are going to want to understand how does this link to our priorities, right? You know, if, if it's a discretionary investment of their time an additional commitment or objective beyond, you know, what they've been charged to by their direct manager, they're gonna to wanna to understand how does this connect to uh, to greater priorities and, and make sure it's not just some off the beaten path kind of effort. So I think that's really important. Uh, I do think the give and take concept is really important here and it goes with, you know, with your, you're asking for someone's capacity, and and I very much when when I get into a, an internal collaboration setting, I try to be very clear on expectations for folks who are coming onto the team. And and in corporate America today, pretty much everybody's tapped out when they show up. And so I, you know, working with functional folks in the setup of the project, get super specific around what we need them to do, what role we need them to play, and in some cases get very finite around what we're asking them. When somebody's not a you know, a primary committed team member out of my function, I'm usually trying to carve out a commitment of one, two, maximum three hours a week, right? I might say to them, I need you in a, um, a functional work stream meeting for one hour, I need you in a larger um, program management check-in every couple of weeks for one hour, and I'd like you to give me one hour of homework a week and see if you can get that. You know, to me, that's part of that give and take, and that allows that person um, to feel like you're not, you know, asking for an, an open-ended commitment. Um, I think it's also clear to understand. Um, you know, priorities, right? If if even though you want the linkage to corporate priorities, you've got to be clear if your project is job one. Um, and I am working on a large project right now where it's job one, but even then, you've got to be cognizant that there are other things going on in, in the organization and be sensitive to the fact that you know nobody ever has one thing that they're working on. And if your effort is not job one, you've got to accept if you're Working on a small rock, you've got to be a bit more artful about how you're um, bringing people to the work, getting it done. As Mike said, keeping it moving forward, getting it, getting it on track. So I, I think a lot of those dynamics are, you know, are important. I think the other thing you have to deal with—it's a reality in a in a um, in a corporate setting. It's probably a reality in an academic setting is you got to understand personal motives. I was talking to a friend of mine and he said, I'm working on this effort because I want to do great work. And I'm just at a different place in my career. Um, I'm not that hung up on the big promo that might be out there, but I'm working with someone who it's really important for them to get promoted. So if that's important, then I've got to set this work up either as something that will give them visibility by working on this project and, or it, it will allow them to demonstrate results that will help them, you know, showcase their value and, or it'll allow them to grow and give them something that they need as part of their development plan to position, you know, to that next, for that next promotion. And that's a little bit of that self-interest, right? The self-interest may not be the organization's going to perform better. It's going to be this is an experience that will position you for something you want. So I think those are a few things. And I think the last thing that's important to me is how do you leverage your internal network in a large in a, in a larger organizations to help this collaboration get done? And when I was junior in an organization, I honestly leveraged my boss's external network. He knew all the players and he could get me some advocacy for them and later on in my career, as I had a bigger network, people would come to me and they'd say, I'm working on this project and I need somebody who can help me with this. And I said, go talk to this lady. She's the, you know, she is the, our expert in that space. And if you're thoughtful about how you position it with her, she or someone on her team will pitch in on that. So thinking about how you navigate networks inside of organizations, I think is something that is specific to, to internal collaboration.
2: As you were talking about that, it almost reminded me I'd recently rewatched yet again, you know, the the Godfather. Yep. When they're asking for, I need to be able to be connected to your judges and the police and, you know, these folks, (laughs) I need your network, Godfather. (laughs) There you go.
0: I mean, it is what it is, Mike. So good stuff. All right. We're tapping into some good
1: emotional chords here. So, Chris, uh, you've covered some of the benefits of collaboration and, and some of the how uh, would like to shift gears. What have you seen, you know, other people and companies do to kind of compensate for not being able to get together in the office? Obviously, that's driven a big push for folks that want uh, work from home and, um, you know, hybrid type uh, situations. So that's definitely impacted the way and the ability to collaborate and I think even going back in time, you could look at how supply chains are now more global uh, than ever. And then we've got all these challenges, uh, uh, a lot of it stemming from the pandemic uh, with with supply chain disruptions, uh, making it even more critical uh, to collaborate on a global basis with all the different moving parts and pieces. So just would love to hear your perspective and any advice you have to share on 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 best practices for facilitating collaboration
0: well those who know me i i'm very much a people person and and when i worked at coke most of the time my office was the cafeteria because i could get i could catch people as they were running by so it was definitely a culture shock and I, I will not forget the day i walked out of that office the last meeting i had was a collaborative meeting with the supplier in the cafeteria and i said i, I think the show's getting ready to close here and so it, you know, and, and I'm glad we're getting back into the, the, the world now where, where things are, are moving along, depending on when you listen to this, um, but we're in a different place. But, but it really did show us a lot. I do think we all accept that virtual will be some element of how work gets done in the future, and it's just different. Um, I would tell you that virtual collaboration requires a lot of discipline and process and follow-up. We originally thought when you know, when people are in a virtual world, they'd have a lot of extra time, but we end up finding they really don't. So you've got to be super careful about that. In a lot of our projects right now that are virtual, we literally do something we call homework in class. And this is when I always loved the teacher in high school who said, Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach for 15 minutes and then I'm gonna give you the rest of the period to work on your homework and I'm gonna walk around and help you. And you love that because Then you knew when you went home, you didn't have to worry about AP chemistry or whatever. If we do that with project teams in a collaborative setting, they love it um, because we know they're up against it and they can just give us that focused time. So really think about that. Um, I think for for me, when you're in larger collaborations where virtual or hybrid is in play, your program management disciplines are much more important. You've got to have somebody to help with that follow-up Clear the path and barrier, and say, you know, you're you've got two red items. What can we do to help you move that forward? So it really requires if you're the owner of the effort, you've got to lean in for a lot of your your support people. But I will say this: as we've started to travel again, some of the critical work of collaboration is really only best done live, and and in all honesty, then it can't even be hybrid. I, I'm not comfortable in a live setting. We've got 10 people in the room and two people up on the board. You know, it, We've got to make the call to say, this is a critical event. We're going to be super careful around time, but we need people to be in one place and one time for one half day a month. And it's a huge driver for big transformational projects. So I think that's important. You talked about the international side, Rodney, and I think this is also something that you've got to be very humble about because when we started a lot of that, you know, that international collaboration, you can get super selfish about your own time zone. And all of a sudden you realize you've got somebody in Australia and it's three o'clock in the morning. I've got one of the professors we work with is in New Zealand right now. And he showed up on a bunch of meetings and I'm like, I don't I don't even know what time it is there. And, and we literally said, let's, will you speak for five or 10 minutes? We'll cover your topics and you can go back to bed. And so what we really started to do was A, time shift those meetings. Uh, and and have folks, you know, typically in the U.S. or a lot of our folks are in the East Coast time zone, they had to be comfortable with some meetings that would occur at 7 o'clock in the morning or 7 o'clock in the evening, but also equal burden. You know, don't do them all in the same time slot. It's just an ethical thing to be flexible about things because people just can't sustain it and you don't want to have situations where, you know, people aren't going to say anything and they're working 20 hours a day.
1: Anything to add, Chris, on um, working with other cultures, like maybe some best practices you picked up from over the years of uh, traveling and around the globe?
0: I always say, think about that, you know, the old Gemba concept from the lean world is, you know, go see, ask why, show respect. I always want to make sure if I'm working in a different setting is, is I understand how does work get done here? Um Also be sensitive uh, with where where language is a question or an issue. I've been in settings where we had translators also been in settings where people where English was the business language, but was a second language for folks. And you need to be super patient with folks in that case. You don't want to have that be a, a gap or a barrier to inclusion because the the subject matter knowledge and experience may be just as important, but someone may not be as comfortable. And I have seen folks who are critical subject matter folks where the language was an issue and we got them help, you know, from, you know, a coach or, or that type of thing, because we didn't want it to diminish their their ability to, to contribute.
2: Chris, we talked a lot about the importance of collaboration and ways to do it well, but what are some of the things that you should watch out for and kind of the don't do's of collaboration?
0: Yep, Mike, this is, you know, I've had some painful ones here. I can speak about these wonderful experiences I talked about, but I've been through some really, really challenging experiences where I had what I thought was a really strategically aligned project that was really important for the business could really move us forward. And it just got derailed at every turn. And, and you know, a lot of hard learning in that. So, I, you know, what I would say is, you know, a couple things for me is if you don't have alignment um, out of the gate on the premise and the importance and the why of the effort, um, I think you need to be super conscious of that, and it's a challenge if the project is intended to prove a concept. Because I've also had people who said, "Okay, the goal is to prove that this strategy will work." Super, I'm going to spend all my time throwing roadblocks in front of you because I don't want it to be proven, and that that's really hard. But I think those are things that are real. Um, so that's about lack of alignment, right? So I, I don't buy into this project, even though someone says it's important. I do think. You know, back to those personality styles. Mike said it before: being self-aware as a player on these projects are important. But when you've got people who are not, and that's being inflicted on other team members, that's really hard. And you've got to figure out how you um, address that, both either directly with that individual in an appropriate way, and or with a manager. I've seen a lot of impatience. You know, I, I, you know, I, I watch somebody try to. Walk off of a project call yesterday because they felt like they weren't being heard, and I'm like, you know, we're all big kids and we're all part of the same organization. We're getting paid, and you know, you don't get to tap out. You've got to, you've got to say, I'm sorry, um, we're not communicating well. So let's step back. and And in, in in that case, I used that facilitation skill, and I said, let me ask some Socratic questions. Let me try to dig in and and try to bridge a lack of understanding. Both parties are well intended. But it wasn't, you know, we we were here instead of here, and so how do you how do you mesh that? But I think that impatience and intolerance can be an issue, you know. Clearly, lack of openness to new ideas is, you know, you've got to counteract that with change management and find that self-interest. But that's a reality; is people are not comfortable with changing, or they're they're uncomfortable. This is going to be a huge effort for us to accomplish what we want. So I'm I'm not really fired up about playing into it and i think the last one that can be cultural is what i call malicious noncompliance and that is someone's in a meeting and they're smiling and they're nodding and it all looks good but outside of the meeting um just bad things happen well this project is terrible or i don't know why we're working on this this will never succeed and all of a sudden you find out that somebody you thought was you know a very supportive team member is in fact sabotaging the work outside of the the structured efforts so all those things are things to really be careful about
1: this has been awesome and it's given me some new things to think about in terms of uh being a better collaborator and new ways to do it as well but you know any advice to share for folks that may not be quite doing their full capabilities or if they're having problems, what's a great way to kind of engage, you know, the stakeholder, you know, things like that.
0: Well, I, I always view these settings as a learning opportunity and, you know, the first in a lot of its basics, a, you don't do it in the large group. Okay. Uh, but it, but it is perfectly appropriate then to check in with somebody who's on the team and say, Hey, let's grab a few minutes and let's chat. And, and, you know, This is where I think you speak to their humanity and say, I really care about you. You're really critical to the work, but I feel like it's not clicking with you. And and depending on your comfort level with them, you can say, either I see you're struggling or others see you're struggling, how can we help you? Um, And if you're comfortable with that, you can do it that way. In in some cultures, it may be more important to talk to their leader first and say, I'm seeing this, is this something you've been working on with them? Are you aware of this? Are you comfortable with me talking to this person? So so it just depends on that. I I think the most important thing is you don't let it fester. What you don't want to do is get to the end of the project and either you've overcome it and their manager wants feedback. How did my person do on the team? Well, we got it done in spite of them, you know, and they're like, what happened? And they never had a chance to fix it. So I, I think, you know the respectful thing is to find a way. As soon as you think there's a legitimate trend, there is don't let it you know go from a small thing to a big thing.
1: Well, this has been a great episode. We appreciate you sharing your perspectives on collaboration. Uh, you know the internal aspects as well as the external. Uh, Would love to know what you have in queue for uh, our next episode on the leadership series.
0: Yep yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take a different. Um, topic and a little bit of an interesting one. And it came from one of my mentees and they reached out to me for some advice. They've been in a role for a couple of years, a good role, um, part of their, you know, their career plan, moving them forward. They've been at a good company. They are at a good company for four or five years, but they feel like they're in a, they're, they're a bit stale. And as they say, you know, meh, I'm not sure if this is the right thing for me. And they wanted to know if that was the sign to say, I got to move on. I've either got to leave this role or leave this company, or if they should consider something else. So I think we're going to talk about when you find yourselves in that situation, what are the right steps to take to assess the situation and work through
1: that? Looking forward to it, Chris. Thanks again for sharing your insights and perspectives. And thanks, audience. Uh, again, if you missed the first few episodes, you can go back and uh, re-listen on your favorite podcast platform to search for the Supply Chain Careers podcast.